I'm David. And I'm Lacey. And this is Life on the DL. Our friends and family are constantly asking us for our advice and opinions, which of course we'd love to share. And that inspired us to start this podcast, Life on the DL. The content of this podcast is provided for general information purposes only and do not constitute financial advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information here without first seeking appropriate advice from a financial professional. In today's episode, we're talking about how we manage our money as a dual income household and sharing our ideas for how you can better manage your income from the perspective of yours, mine, and ours. So I wanted to start off this episode with the fact that we didn't have a joint account until we were married. This was more of my personal choice because having control over my finances and having that financial literacy is very important to me. And my dad handled all of the financial aspects of our family growing up. And when my parents separated, my mom really struggled to manage her own finances since my dad had handled everything for the majority of her adult life. She just didn't have the personal experience or knowledge to do it herself. And the person that she would typically ask for guidance was no longer available to assist in that way. That made me more hesitant to share any types of financial accounts or make any joint decisions until I was in a stable in long-term partnership with someone who I had the confidence in their financial literacy. And this process literally took like five years. And even now I have multiple accounts of my own. I don't think I'll ever let go of those separate accounts, but I'll hold off on going into that topic for now because I'll get into why I have them and what I use them for in a later episode. Yeah, I mean, even for me as well, having been accustomed to everything being joint, I've now discovered that I do really like having my own accounts that we'll also talk about. This was a foreign concept for me because in my past relationships, I managed all of the family finances. Having separate incomes, much less accounts, was also something I had to get used to. For Lacey and I, once we were married, we decided that we should start combining our finances. Combining our finances was indeed foreign to both of us for different reasons, I know. So we started with baby steps. First thing we did was we opened a joint checking and savings account. And then we started directing all of our bills to be paid out of the joint checking. We both started out transferring manually from our accounts when we were getting paid, but then eventually we set up automatic transfers from those individual accounts to the joint accounts for our portion of the bills. And then all of our savings were done individually in our individual savings accounts. Yeah, I don't remember why we ended up doing that manually to begin with, probably because it was a big step to automate it because you knew that it was definitely going into that joint account each month. I think part of the reason uh, from what I remember was this was just right after our wedding, right? And we had all these large expenses that we were still trying to pay. And so at that time, it was kind of easier just to manually push things over from our individual accounts because we had the additional or higher expenses for like the first probably six months of even being married. 
Yeah, weddings are so expensive. But anyways, I feel like we learned a lot through that experimentation over the last couple of years leading up to when we got married and merged the accounts. And now after we're married, we share a lot more things than before. So now we have four joint accounts total. We have a checking account, which like you mentioned, is for all of our bills and shared expenses. We have a savings account for our emergency fund. Um, That's not the only way that we save, obviously, but this account is specific to that emergency fund. And speaking of other savings, we do have a variety of investment accounts, two of those being shared. Um, The first one is a self-managed investment account, which means that we get to decide where those investments are in terms of what we are investing in. And an automated or robo-investment account, or also known as a managed portfolio, where your bank or investment firm decides where your investments are going. A lot of the heartburn that I had initially regarding sharing accounts resonated from I didn't want to contribute unfairly because I made and still make less than David. So we had to determine a more data-driven strategy that made me feel comfortable with the amount that I was contributing. Yeah, I know. I remember we uh, went round and round about what is fair and and we've researched mm-hmm. and looked at everything from, you know, splitting the expenses in half exactly or trying to find a way to uh, correlate the ratio of what, you know, my income was to your income. Uh, but I think uh, we, for now, have landed on a pretty fair way to contribute to the uh joint checking savings on investments. So over time, we did merge all of them. And so for our joint accounts, uh, we ended up contributing a fixed and equal percentage of our take-home. Now, that was something that we went back and forth trying different things. We tried doing percentage of the gross income, and that was really difficult to calculate all the little pieces. But what we found was just taking that fixed percentage of the take-home worked out the best. And then that percentage was determined by what all the shared bills and expenses and what our savings goals were. So we worked backwards from what the total that we wanted to put away for the bills, expenses, and savings, and then calculated a fixed percentage that we would both equally contribute to. And that basically just takes care of it. So like I mentioned, how we work backwards from what ours is, how we defined ours or our shared expenses and goals was made up of four major components. Number one was all the combined bills, such as utilities, rent at the time, or mortgage, car, car insurance, all of those recurring bills. Number two was our savings and investments and how much we wanted to save and invest for our longer term retirement types of goals. Number three, we went back and forth trying different things, but it was the credit card spend. Most of what we spend is on credit cards, and that's something we'll talk about in in another episode. But 
we decided that it was best to cover the higher average or a high average of the credit card spend. And we'll get to why um, in a moment. But number four was then vacations, anything that we'd want to set aside for um, vacation types of budgets. So in the end, with those four components, we're able to come up with a final, let's say, monthly number that we need to contribute to as a whole. And then from that number, we calculated what percentage of our take-home we would have to contribute in order to meet that number. And like I mentioned earlier, our joint accounts are not the only accounts that each of us hold. So the individual accounts that I personally have are very similar to our joint accounts. I keep a personal checking, a personal savings, and a managed portfolio. I prefer the simplicity of a managed portfolio, so I don't currently have a self-managed investment account. I do, however, have a Roth IRA and an individual 401k, which I use in a similar fashion to how you would use one of those um, self-managed. Now, for for me, uh, my individual accounts are also very similar to the joint accounts with one small difference. I also keep a personal checking savings, but I don't have a managed portfolio. I have my own self-managed investment account. And that's more because I like being more active in trading. Um, I used to, I tried, right, um, for about a year, day trading didn't work out the best because it just um, took way too much time and research. But I did learn from that on more of the, what we call swing trades or the longer term trades to provide a better return than what the market is returning. Yeah, we both dabbled in day trading, but with our work schedule, it didn't reap as many benefits as we wanted it to because we weren't able to dedicate the time to pay close attention to what was going on in the market because we were a little bit busy during that time. And finally, I do have a Roth IRA as well as a 401k from my employer. Oh, I forgot to mention that I also have a 401k with my employer, but I do have an individual 401k from my self-employed era. We keep these separate accounts for a variety of benefits. I'll just list off some of my personal benefits, and David, you can chime in if you think that you have the same benefits or if there's anything unique. So I like that I'm able to buy gifts and that they're really a secret. You know, if you have a joint account and you're purchasing gifts and your spouse is like, well, what did you order from this place? I wonder why you would be ordering from there, especially if it's something very specific to the opposite gender. So for me, it also feels a little bit um, weird to purchase gifts from a joint account because it's almost as if you're partner is paying for their own gifts. So that's just my personal feeling and preference. And I also never feel guilty about any of the money that I'm spending. So if I want to make a large purchase, I just go ahead and I do that from my personal account. That way I don't have to um, have that unconscious guilt about spending our money on something so personal to me. I think I take advantage of that one a lot more than you do because I buy lots of large gifts for myself. 
out of my personal account, of course, but I agree. That's, that's basically, um, the major reason or the primary reason behind that. Like you can, it's almost like our own gift accounts, right? We can mm-hmm. gift each other different things without number one, giving away what it is. But like you said, number two, not feeling guilty that, your partner is buying their own gift or half of their own gift from the joint account. So. Right. And no shame if that's something that you do or that's something you don't care about. That's just like our personal feelings about it. There's no right or wrong way. Now, as far as credit cards go, I know we mentioned how we pretty much spend everything on our credit cards instead of spending cash and we try to budget for the higher average uh, when we're paying that off. But for credit cards, we both had our own credit cards before we decided that we weren't going to open any joint credit cards, not for any specific reason, but instead we added each other as authorized users on the accounts that we most frequently use. That brings one benefit is we can overlap our credit and credit scores by adding each other on those higher limit credit cards. So then we have kind of a benefit of both or almost like double the amount of credit available, which then drives down the credit utilization, which of course then drives up the credit score. I'm sure we'll have another episode going deeper into all things credit and joint credit and how you can improve yours. Yeah, I agree. I think this would be a great topic to expand on further in a separate episode. But I do want to take a few moments to share a couple more tips about how you can leverage adding authorized users as a family. But also, if you have somebody from your family that is not necessarily your children, you can also add them as an authorized user to improve their credit score via their credit utilization. So there aren't many constraints around who you can add as an authorized user, but you should certainly use your best judgment when you are considering who you're going to add. And if you have any reservations around it, you could always add them as an authorized user for their benefit and Typically, credit card companies will send you the credit card in the mail to give to them. So you can just, you know, set that aside, put it in your safe, and really you're just allowing that other person to reap the benefits of that extended credit utilization. Yeah, that's a great, great um, tactic on doing that. I know I did the same thing for my children. When they both turned 16, I added them as authorized users. So then that would start showing up on their credit. Because at 16, then they could be added as an authorized user. They can't apply for their own account, but it starts building their credit file. And then by the time they turn 18, they have a good solid credit file that they can use to help apply for their own credit cards. I've definitely seen that as a benefit for both my children because before either one of them turned 21, their credit scores were probably over 700 or even in the high 700s. That's amazing. So one benefit that I personally 
think that your children had that I wish I would have had was when I was applying for an apartment in college, I didn't have any credit yet. So it was a little more complicated to find a place that would allow me to live there because I just didn't have any credit to my name yet. So I'm sure that's something that your kids didn't really have to worry about. Yes. And I can already see a great credit episode coming. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So last question. Did you give your kids the credit card at 16? Yes, I did give them the credit cards that I added them an authorized user as, but only on a very emergency use basis. And I don't think either one ever used them, but they always had access to it. But that is very important. Just like you said, be very cautious on who you add, especially who you give, because they have all of the access to your credit limit without any of the actual penalty if they were to max out the credit card and not pay it. Right. It is the card holder who is ultimately on the hook for making those payments. So to wrap it up, when it comes to joint accounts, you should do whatever you as a couple are most comfortable with together and know that you can always change it up as you experiment and learn more over time. And there's no right or wrong way to setting up your accounts and there's no harm in changing it up even if you've been doing it one way for a while. The content of this podcast is provided for general information purposes only and do not constitute financial advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information here without first seeking appropriate advice from a financial professional. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast networks with new episodes dropping every Tuesday. We'd love to hear your questions at Life on the DL on Instagram or email us at Life on the DL podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss out on our new episodes. If you love today's show, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you tune in.